Well, I'm excited to be able to share uh, this message with you today as we continue in our uh, Easter uh, Tide, so our sermon series that follows Easter Sunday, the Belong, Believe, Beloved series, in which we look at how Jesus uh, forms and utilized relationships with his followers to gather them to himself, to help them to believe, to help them have faith. Uh, And he does all this not because he's trying to uh, manipulate or control anyone, but because he loves us, right? So being gathered into the people of God, being gathered into the body of Christ is an act of love. Um, and and we know this because G- the Jesus story is part of a much larger story. And if you've been paying even a remote amount of attention uh, since I've been preaching here, you've probably picked up on the fact that I love Story. In fact, it's the story of, of God in the Bible that kind of drew me into uh, an understanding of a call to ministry. Um, and so oftentimes the story gets told in fragments or gets taught as, um, as principles or formulas. And, and we lose something when we, when we lose this big grand narrative of God. And so um, if you start out in the old time, don't worry, I'm not going like, to preach the whole story of the Bible today. That's not where we're going with this. But if you start out in the Old, old Testament, you'll see that it, it's, it's really a story of a people that God has called, he has chosen for himself, right? It's a, it's a people that God loved. Um, but these people, they loved being the chosen people of God. But they kept forgetting what they were chosen for. Right? They loved being God's chosen people, but they kept forgetting. And so, so what you see in the Old Testament is God continually coming back saying, wait, 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 being my chosen people, this is what it looks like. This is what we do. This is what we don't do. This is, how, this is our mission. This is our goal. You keep wanting to go do things like the other gods you know, are telling their people to do, you know, the idol worship. You keep going to do what other kingdoms are, like we want a king, like the other, we want to worship those gods, like the other people. We want to, like we... And so the story of the Old Testament is God continually going back to his people saying, you've forgotten what you're chosen for. And, and that kind of culminates in the Old Testament when, you know, I mean, the promise that God gave to Abraham, well, I mean, again, I said I'm not going to preach the Old Testament uh, story today, but like if you start in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were told to care for it, right? Like that was their mission, and they, they said, no thanks, and we'll do something else. And um, so they had to leave the Garden, and then you got Abraham being called, and and the promise to Abraham was that through him and through his children, the whole world would be blessed. You remember that promise, right? This is, this is, this is in there. And, uh, and yet, the people of, of God decided, nah, we don't really want to do that. Um, and so this culminates in exile, right? Um, the story of Jonah kind of reminds us, Jonah was the prophet who didn't want to go to the people, and Israel was the... God's chosen people that didn't want to go to the rest of the world. And so God said, you're going whether you want to or not, and you're going as exiles. You're not going on your own terms. And so the people of God got scattered throughout the world, not by choice, but through exile, right? And so, so that's this kind of the struggle of the Old Testament, is the, the chosen people of God continually forgetting what they were chosen for. So then you turn the page to the New Testament, and Jesus shows up on the scene, and he starts calling people to himself, right? He starts going around seashores and, and, and marketplaces and gathering people to himself. And so when Jesus called people for his mission, it's a good thing they never forgot what 
they had been chosen for, right? Um, the people who literally followed Jesus as he taught and healed and performed miracles, those people who, who witnessed Jesus, they never forgot what they were chosen for, did they? <laughs> oh, They forgot what they were chosen for all the time. And so as we go through the stories in the Gospels, we see that time and time and time again. They forgot what they were chosen for. But thankfully, we don't live in the Old Testament times, and we, we don't live in, in the times of the New Testament and the Gospels and times of Jesus, uh, where the people of God enjoy the idea of being God's chosen people, but kept forgetting what they were chosen for. Like, thank God we're not those people that did that thing. Or... Maybe do Christians today seem to get caught up in the status of being chosen, but not so concerned about what we've been chosen for. And so before we answer that, and before I step on any more toes or feel like I'm attacking the church anymore, uh, let's take a look at today's scripture, which comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 through 48. And this will be a familiar story. This is, this is a lot like the scripture story for last week. Um, but instead of it coming from the Gospel of John's perspective, this is coming from the Gospel of Luke's perspective. If you remember last week, we looked at Doubting Thomas and that whole scenario where Jesus appeared to him um, after appearing to all the other disciples. And This will be a similar telling of that story, but with a different emphasis. So Luke 24, 36 through 48. It says, While they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were terrified and afraid. They thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you startled? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It really, it's really me. Touch me and see, for a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see I have. As he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Because they were wondering and questioning in the midst of their happiness, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of baked fish. Taking it, he ate it in front of them. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said to them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And a change of heart and life for the forgiveness of sins must be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word today. Not just words on a page or words on a screen, but your word that became flesh and dwells amongst us. A word that guides us, that teaches us, that shows us the way forward, um, and not just any way forward, but a way that leads to life. Um, Father, without your guidance, without your leading, without your call on our lives, we would wander off in our, <laughs> in our own paths, thinking we had found the way by ourselves. But your word made flesh dwells amongst us and keeps us on the straight and narrow. It teaches us the very words of life, the very way of life. May those words through your Holy Spirit, be written in our hearts, be fresh in our minds, and be the very things that form us into the people of God. We thank you and love you. Amen.
So as we start to dig into the story a little bit, like I said, it's, it's probably fairly familiar if you've been um, uh, attending church for any length of time. This is a, a common story. The, the kids are getting the same story from Tabitha and Brenda um, across the way. Um, so let's begin by putting ourselves in the, the shoes of the, the disciples, right? Let's put ourselves in the disciples' place to start, right? So Jesus has called them. He has taught them, he's corrected them, he's trusted them, he's loved them, but it never quite clicked for them, did it? Some argued over who was going to sit on the right and on the left of Jesus, meaning who was going to be in the most important ruling positions with him in the kingdom. Some heard, pick up your cross and follow me, but they, they interpreted that to mean we're going to destroy our enemies through violence. Some wanted to keep the sick and to keep the children away from Jesus. Some wanted to stop others who were healing people using Jesus' name, but they weren't a part of this group, so they said, no, you can't, you, you're, you're obviously wrong. We, we're going to go stop that guy healing people in Jesus' name. Some of the disciples tried to prevent the crucifixion, looking at you, Peter, with the sword attacking the guard. Some denied knowing Jesus. Peter, again, bears the spotlight on that one. Um, some tried to personally benefit from this mission. Judas betrays Jesus for, for some money. Almost all of the disciples abandoned the mission when Jesus was arrested, when he was beaten, when he was crucified. The Bible tells us that only John and Mary were at the foot of the cross. After the crucifixion, Jesus is gone. The disciples who followed Jesus into Jerusalem are now alone. They're scared for their own safety and they're wondering what they're supposed to do now. Because it wouldn't be uncommon for followers of a, a leader to be forced to experience the same fate as that leader, right? So, so it wasn't like, well, they killed Jesus and so we're off the hook, but it was like they killed Jesus, they could come get us too. So can you put yourselves as part of this group of disciples? Can you put yourselves in their situation? And again, uh, imagine being this group of 11 disciples, and it's, it's 11 because Judas went and, and took his own life at this point. Um, Imagine locking yourself in a room to think about and talk about all the, the ways that things went wrong. I mean, we went to Jerusalem with a purpose. We thought something was going to happen, and this wasn't it. And if you think about that, many of these disciples in this room had spent years following Jesus. They had spent uh, miles <laughs> in sandals on dusty roads following Jesus from town to town. And now... He was just gone. Reflecting on the fact that each of these disciples made a mess of things at one point or another. Right? So they're sitting in this room. They're like, oh man, maybe, maybe I contributed to this. I made a mess of things. I told Jesus not to, to let the kids come. I told him to stay away from those sick people. I told him, you know, you know like, I, I didn't get it. Maybe I had something to do with this. I'm... And so these disciples are far from perfect. 
And now they're in this room wondering what happens next. They've been denying Jesus. They've been arguing over who, who he loved the most. They were arguing over which one was going to have the most power, arguing over who was going to be the most important once Jesus took the throne. They were trying to send people home when Jesus wanted to feed them. They were trying to keep kids away from Jesus when he wanted them to come. They were trying to stay righteous and pure when Jesus was out trying to have them sit at tables with sinners and tax collectors and the sick. They got it wrong so often. And now, he's gone. And they've gathered together because without Jesus, they don't know what else to do. They wouldn't have come to Jerusalem on their own, and now that they're there, they're afraid to leave. So what are they supposed to do? And then in the middle of all that, the scripture tells us that Jesus shows up. <laughs> have you ever had the boss or the teacher or your parent show up at like the worst possible time? <laughs> have you ever been like, in the middle of a big project or doing something and it's all going well and you're all by yourself, but then like it all comes off the rails and that's the minute the boss comes by to check on you? Or, you know, uh, when you're first getting old enough to stay home by yourself and you're supposed to do some chores and like it's all going well, but like 10 minutes before your parents get home, like the, the dog tears into the garbage can or something. Um, right? Like this is what's going on here. They, these disciples have made a mess of things. They're not sure what's going on. They've denied Jesus. They've fought. They've argued. They've done everything that he hasn't wanted them to do. And then they abandoned him to die on a cross, to preserve themselves. They knew that they've messed up, but they thought they would never see him again. Except for the fact he just showed up right in the middle of them. And so Jesus shows up to chew them out, to let them know how disappointed he is that they didn't die on their crosses with them, that they didn't follow him to the cross, that they denied him to the public, right? Like Jesus shows up to fire them, say, you're the worst followers ever. <laughs> to punish them, right? That's why he shows up in their midst. Verse 36 that we read a moment ago tells us that's not why he showed up. So he shows up to these terrified and disappointing disciples. And he says, while they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. Peace be with you were Jesus' first words to these disciples who were not the best at being disciples. He then reassured them it was actually him. He ate some fish, which is a weird element to the story. And then he helped them to make sense of all that happened. The Bible scripture that we read a moment ago said that he opened their mind to the scriptures. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And so after bringing greetings of peace, after comforting his disciples, and then explaining what was really going on in a way that they could finally understand, after all of that, which happens relatively quickly, Jesus does something amazing. He says that repentance, a change of heart, along with forgiveness of sins, must be proclaimed or preached to all people starting in Jerusalem. And so this is an interesting moment in the story because guess who 
happens to be in Jerusalem, right there, right now, and knows the message of Jesus' story of repentance and forgiveness? Who, Who happens to be in Jerusalem at that very moment that knows about repentance and forgiveness, the way that Jesus teaches it? It was these disciples that were standing right there in front of Jesus. And so I think these disciples were starting to pick up on what's happening here. And so he takes these people who pretty much failed to follow Jesus when it got hardest, who didn't understand the scriptures of Moses and the prophets, and he gives them the most important message of preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins to everyone. But why does he do this? What qualifies these disciples to be ambassadors of Christ? What qualifies these disciples to be the preachers of this good news? His apostles, his messengers. What qualifies them? And the answer is, they are witnesses to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Sure, they made a mess of everything else beforehand. They denied him. They fought over position and status within the group. But they are witnesses to Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. They aren't Bible scholars. They aren't theologians. They don't have everything all figured out. They don't even know what's happening right now. (laughs) As Jesus appeared to them, they didn't even understand what was happening in that moment. And yet, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. You will be the ones who announce repentance and forgiveness of sins because of what they have seen and what they experienced firsthand with Jesus. It's quite a story. It's, it's honestly a, a redemptive story. It's, it's amazing if you think about how that Holy Week, how wrong the disciples got it for Jesus to show up and say, you know what, I've got another mission for you. And so what does this bizarre story have to do with the the church in the year 2021? What does it have to do with us today? So a few weeks ago, um, there's a a group called Gallup. Have you heard of Gallup that does surveys and polls and those types of things? They uh, published a survey, the results of a survey, uh, about religious life in the U.S. And that survey announced the following results. It says 47% of Americans now say they belong to a house of worship. 47% say they belong to a house of worship. Down from 70% in the mid-1990s and down from 50% in 2019. The decline is part of a continued drop in membership over the past 20 years, according to the Gallup data. Uh, The decline in membership coincides with the rise of the so-called Nuns, meaning the people that mark no affiliation, no religious affiliation on the survey. Um, Gallup reports about one in five Americans, about 20%, 21%, identifies as a nun. Not a Catholic nun, but somebody that has no religious affiliation. Making them as large of a group as Catholics or as large of a group as evangelicals in America. Uh, Other polls put that number uh, closer to 30% of the people saying they have no religious affiliation. Certain parts of the country are experiencing this trend uh, at different rates and in different ways, 
But the reality can be summed up by saying this. Fewer people are waking up on Sunday mornings and making the decision to attend a church. Fewer people are choosing to become a member of a church. Fewer people think organized religion is important at all. Fewer people think faith and spiritual matters are important. And part of that is a changing culture, right? Uh, it used to be that going to church was an obligation. Uh, it was a social, it was a civic, it was a family obligation, a family commitment. Like, that was kind of part of it. Church membership implied virtue, it implied morality. Like, that's where good people were a part of. If you were a good person, you were a part of a church. But for various reasons, and we're not going to get into it, uh, our culture has decided that you can be a good person, you can be a good citizen, without going to church. That's just the, the reality of our culture today. Um, but more locally, more specifically to our community, uh, as I was reading some of these uh, polls and survey of results, I saw one study that studied Battle Creek and the results said that only one out of three people say they were religious. And that's not Christian, that's just religious in general. One out of three people in our community, Battle Creek and the surrounding communities, say they're religious. So on a national level, it's like 47% or 50%. Or, you know, if you take the nuns out, it's like 80%, right? But in Battle Creek... One in three, 33%, say they were religious. The Michigan state average is 42%. So our little neck of the woods here shows up on these results as being one of the least religious places in the state. Being one of the least religious states in the country. So why do I mention these survey results after talking about Jesus appearing to the disciples? Obviously, I'm talking two different things that are unrelated, right? But I bring this up because the words of Jesus are just as true today as they were the day he spoke them. A change of heart and life for the forgiveness of sins must be preached in his name to all nations. This is what Jesus told his disciples then. This was the reality 2,000 years ago in that upper room. And I believe that this is the reality that Jesus is addressing today. A change of heart and life for the forgiveness of sins must be be preached, proclaimed in his name to all nations. Repentance, which means to turn around, to change your mind, and, and freedom from sins, which can also mean like release from sins, forgiveness of sins, needs to be proclaimed to everyone. And so as we look around our communities and our neighborhoods, and, and not to mention our state and our country and globally, right? Like there are so many things that need repentance. So many things that require people to change their hearts and to change their minds about. So many dead-end roads that we have journeyed down that we need to turn around and come back to the way. There are sins that need forgiven. There are people who need to be freed from sin's power and control in their lives. There are people who need to know about Jesus. They need to know about his life, his teachings. They need to know about his death and his resurrection. Battle Creek and the surrounding communities need to hear about what Jesus did and what Jesus is doing today. 
And so Jesus has gathered God's chosen people together in his name. And if you listen carefully, you can hear what we've been chosen for. Right? We are the gathered community that gathers in the name of Jesus. And if we're paying attention, we can hear the purpose behind it. Not only are we God's chosen people, but we have been chosen for a purpose. We who have experienced new life in Jesus are called to testify to what we have seen, to what we have heard, and to what we have experienced. We are to be witnesses. And you don't have to be a theologian to share Jesus' story. You just need to be a witness. You don't have to be a Bible scholar with PhDs. You don't have to have a title of pastor or reverend by your name to share Jesus. Jesus calls us not to be experts, but to be witnesses. What we have seen, what we have heard, what we have experienced, to tell that story. What has Jesus done? What is Jesus doing? Right? The mission of our church is to make Christ-like disciples. Right? That's the Nazarene church at large says that their, their mission is to make Christ-like disciples in all the nations. The words on the foyer out there said, make disciples, right? Make Christ-like disciples is our mission as a church. Jesus tells his disciples to start by being witnesses in Jerusalem, right where they were. And so that seems like a pretty great place for us to start, too. Of course, we want the whole world to know Jesus. But right now, we are called to proclaim a call to repentance and a message of forgiveness and freedom from sin in Battle Creek and in the surrounding communities in which we live. The people in our communities don't know Jesus. They haven't seen what he's done. They haven't experienced what he is doing in our lives. And so they need to hear from some witnesses. My vision for us as a church is that we become a church that declares Jesus is king through our actions and our words to the community of Battle Creek and beyond. If we have encountered the resurrected Jesus, if he has appeared in our midst, if we have experienced new life in him, we are compelled by him to be a witness. You may be wondering, well, what's, what, is, what is our witness? What is our testimony? Like, what am I supposed to do? I don't know the, the Bible inside and out. I don't teach Sunday school. I'm not a have the scriptures memorized, what could I possibly do? Well, if you've been here for uh, each week during this Belong, Believe, Beloved series, you know that I've concluded the sermon with the Apostles' Creed. And I've done that deliberately. Um, I know some people are like, creeds, this is kind of weird. We don't usually do this type of thing. And whatever. Um, but this is the story that we, as witnesses, are confessing. This is the story in which we understand our own lives. You know, I was sick and then I was healed. Well, what's going on there? Well, there was this Jesus guy, <laughs> right? And he has a father and there's this Holy Spirit. <laughs> and he came and he lived and he died and he rose again. And like our healing story is tied into this confession of faith. And so once again, I'm going to invite you to uh, proclaim the Apostles' Creed with me. Um, and as we get more familiar with this, as it becomes the language in which um, 
You're, you know, maybe this echoes in your head throughout the week. This can be something you turn to as a witness. What are we witnessing to? Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. There's forgiveness of sins to be had. There's uh, freedom from sin to be had. There's repentance that needs to happen. And so I'm going to invite you to uh, recite with me again this morning the Apostles' Creed as we affirm and remind ourselves of the faith to which we are witnesses. So I invite you to join with me. You ready? All right. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I'm going to invite the praise team to come and lead us in a time of worship and response. But again, Jesus has not just gathered some people in his name to hang out (laughs) or to have the status of being chosen people. But we are chosen with a purpose. And he tells to his disciples on that very day that he appeared to them what that purpose was. There's repentance that needs done. There's forgiveness that needs proclaimed. There's life and freedom apart from sin that needs to happen. And you are to proclaim, to preach that message as my witnesses. I invite you to stand and worship with us.